0: Romans chapter 15, 2 Peter chapter 1 and Acts 28. Today we are coming to the beginning of the end of the book of Romans. Paul has shared with us so much. We've come now to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 16 if you look ahead, you'll see it's basically one big PS. Oh, say hi to say hi to Right. We're going to. There's great stuff in there as well. But this is sort of the end of the functional part of his letter, if you will. Okay. let me just review for you. If you haven't been with us, some of the amazing things that Paul has shared with us in this book. First, he shared the gospel. That is the good news of justification. It's in a nutshell, this you're a sinner just like me. But Jesus came to save sinners. The righteousness of God, which is something that you're required to have before you get into God's perfect heaven, perfect righteousness, you can never achieve on your own. It's a condition you cannot achieve. But the righteousness of God, we learned, is a commodity that Jesus can give you. He can just drop it in your lap. The righteousness of God is not a condition you could ever achieve, but it's a commodity that you can, you must receive. Jesus says, apart from me, no one gets into heaven. Okay, That's the gospel of justification, that he can make you justified, just as if you'd never sinned. Then Paul went on from there to share the gospel, if you will, the good news of sanctification. Check it out. It means you don't have to just settle for being forgiven. Which is pretty good, but you can actually be transformed. In other words, Jesus is not just a savior who died for you. He's a savior who lives in you and makes it his business to change you from the inside out, from glory to glory, from from where you are to where you're more and more like him. That's pretty cool. The, the gospel of justification, the gospel of sanctification. Then Paul began to speak of the faithfulness of God to his nation, Israel, chapters 9 through 11. The, the long and short of that is that we see God being so patient and consistent and faithful to a nation that was very unfaithful to him. And the good news for you and me, if he's faithful to them, hey, he'll be faithful to me. That if he's refusing to give up on them, guess what? He refuses to give up on me. Then in chapter 12, Paul began to talk about transformation. You Remember chapters 12, verses 1 and 2. Look, your reasonable response to these awesome mercies of God, that he would justify you, that he would set you on the path of sanctification, your reasonable response to give yourself to him, to surrender your body, your mind. If we give ourselves to him, we saw Paul then begins to bring about real metamorphosis. Real change. And then finally, the last couple of weeks in the book of Romans that we've covered, Paul has talked about how we live with one another, though we come from very different backgrounds. We are the blended family of God. And we all, some of us were brought up one way, some another. Uh, we all have things that make us stumble that, wow, I can't believe that person does that and they call themselves a Christian or I can't believe this person has a problem with this. And they call themselves a Christian. Paul has been working on us, showing us how we live uh, in love with one another who have different backgrounds, convictions. Okay. There. I summarized the book of Romans. Wow. All right. You're like, that's a first. Okay. Um, Today, Paul begins now to wrap up this letter with some personal notes. This We're going to get more personal insight into the Apostle Paul, the author of this book. i got an outline for you if you're interested. Number one, we're going to see Paul's prompting. That is his reminding of the Gentiles. Paul's prompting. Number two, we're going to see Paul's power. That he was powered by God. Number three, we're going to see Paul's pioneering spirit. Number four, we're going to see Paul's plans... And then lastly, we're going to see Paul's plea to the Romans. So prompting power, pioneering plans, plea down the side of your page. It will read. Got it. All right. Here we go. First, Paul's prompting. Verse 14. That's where we left off. Paul says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and also able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. That's the good news of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As Paul begins to wrap up this letter, he's basically saying this. Guys, I, I realize I've been pretty blunt Pretty bold with you guys on some points. Do you remember as we were going particularly through chapters 9, 10, 11? Remember all the times that Paul gave the Gentiles the backhanded compliment? The less than flattering things. He would say things like, uh, guys, Gentiles, you are Johnny come lately in the plan of salvation. The, The Jews are looking for the righteousness of God. They're trying to achieve it, but they're not. Gentiles, you just stumbled upon it. You weren't even looking for it. Paul says to the Gentiles, look, don't talk bad about Israel. He's not God is not done with them yet. As a matter of fact, Paul says, God loves the Gentiles. And one of the things he's accomplishing is to make his nation, the Jewish nation, jealous by the way that he loves upon you. And then the last couple chapters, when it comes again to varying convictions, Paul says, look, when it comes to eating meat. I know you've all got different uh, thoughts and and convictions. And he says to probably a lot of them were Gentiles. Those who had no particular problem eating meat, he calls them the stronger brother. He says, hey, you're actually right. Uh, There's no problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols because idols are not gods. He says, but not everybody gets that. And he puts the, the onus, he puts the emphasis on the Gentile and says, look, I get it. It's okay for you to eat that meat, but... Out of the the law of love, you need to refrain in front of your brother so as not to stumble him. So Paul has been very direct, very... He's kind of demanding, I guess it's probably too strong of a word, but he's expecting a lot of these Gentiles, right? And Paul says, in, in verse 14, he's saying, Look, I just don't want you to misunderstand my opinion of you. Look at verse 14 again. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. That you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish or to warn one another. He says, I know that you guys are smart enough to cover these things on your own, to warn each other. I I love this, you guys, because this letter, and I think you'll agree, is so thorough and so pulls no punches. I mean Paul comes out of the out of the gate going, You're sinners, you're sinners, you're sinners. It pull he pulls no punches. And he sees right here, it's like the, the Holy Spirit told him to write this, because maybe the readers in the book of Romans are thinking, well, Paul, what do you think, we're that stupid? Do you really think so little of us, Paul, that we're that dense, that we're that bad, that we, that we don't care about our brother? No, Paul says, I am confident that you already know and practice these things. Verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as... Reminding you, remember that word as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In a nutshell, Paul is saying, look, my assignment from God is to be the apostle. That is the the, uh, one sent with a message to the Gentiles. Paul says to them, look, God has made me your apostle. And Paul takes his gig very seriously. Matter of fact, look at verse 16 and you will see it's filled with priestly type words, official type words. Verse 16. He says that I may be a minister. The word in the Greek is liturgos. It's where we get the word liturgy, and it literally means a temple priest. That I may be a temple priest of Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Then he says, ministering, official word, the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. He's talking about making an offering acceptable. There's more and more priestly imagery here, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul takes his his job seriously. And what he's saying here to these Roman Gentiles, look, God has been so gracious to me to be your apostle. And he says, so my job, guess what apostles do? We remind you of stuff you already know. This is what we do. We encourage you to actually put things that you already know into place. He says, so that your offering may be well-pleasing to God. Paul says, I take it seriously that your lives would be acceptable, would be well-pleasing to God. That's what pastors are supposed to do too. We're supposed to take seriously the fact that your life should be pleasing, well-pleasing before God. We get up in your grill a bit so that you'll actually grow in Jesus. The stuff you already know. And the vast majority of my job is to make sure that you're reminded of things that you already know. You guys know what they call the person on the passenger side of the car who constantly says, hey, are you going the right way? Q. Scott said last, last service, he goes, wife. You guys need time? <laughs> Don't let that stumble. you got to focus. All right. Well, no, actually, I had a different word. Thankfully for me, I'm smarter than that. Um, <laughs> what they call the, the person who uh, sits in the passenger side and constantly asks, hey, are you going the right way? Are you going the right way? A nagavator. <laughs> Y'all, that, that, that's my gig. That's my gig, to be the nagavator. To remind you of stuff you already know, we we all need reminding, and Paul proves it here. You, you may have heard the average person only remembers about twenty five percent of what they hear twice. You have to hear it twice, and then you have twenty five percent chance of remembering it. At least I think that's the stat. <laughs> I forgot. Our minds are like steel sieves and God knows it. So he reminds us over and over and over again. He's very gracious to do it. Look at second Peter chapter one with me. Second Peter chapter one. This is a different apostle. Same gig though. Look at it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, that the body, this physical body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter's gig as an apostle, Paul's gig as an apostle, to remind. To remind. That's my job, to remind. They say that the sign of a great teacher, he repeats himself often. Let me say that again. The sign of a great teacher is that he repeats himself often. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Wait, I was here just a few months ago and you used that bit before. Do the math. Here we see Paul prompting, reminding, just repeating the same stuff. But he does it in order that we might incorporate it. We might get it. We might get it in our lives. Here's your application. Question. Are you okay with being reminded? I dare say you're okay with being reminded at church because you wouldn't be here. Most of you, you, you know that's what we do. But let me get up in your grill a little bit more. Are you okay being reminded in your quiet time? Or do you dismiss something unless it's shiny and brand new to you? One of the things, if you're willing, ladies, to come to the Abide Breakfast, is to learn how to read relationally. We sang the song, I Want to Know You, Jesus. That's part of our mission statement, to know Jesus first and then to make him known, right? Reading relationally means having a relationship, a date night, whatever you want to call it, with the Lord. Let me ask you, what a weird relationship you would have with your husband or your wife if every conversation had to be some shiny new revelation. Wait, you told me that before. You told me that you love me a few times. what if it had to be something brand new? Here's my point. Some people, I think, and and perhaps it wouldn't surprise me at all if many in this room, if you're dissatisfied or dismissive of what God is saying to you through His Word in your own time, if it's not new or revolutionary, I, I promise you, if you get this, if you'll if you'll hang on to this and say, okay. You know what? I am totally good with being reminded because it's the way that people learn uh, and and learn to grow and to know each other. If you approach your quiet time as you would any relationship, willing to be reminded, just having a conversation, I promise you it will be much more satisfying than if you are currently now saying, oh, it's got to be something new. I already knew that. Okay? Here's one more application for you. Completely different out of these texts. I love the fact that Paul cares enough to write these words, to point this out. Do you see that Paul, He's he said some really strong, bold things. Do you see that he does not want the Romans to think that he thinks they're stupid? Now, he could have left this part out. If he had an editing, you know, he could have been like, oh, wait, I'm an apostle. I speak the truth. I don't care what they think. No. He's speaking the truth in love. So he cares about how they receive it. Application. Do you do the same? Do you care not only about speaking the truth, but also how that other party will receive the truth? Speaking the truth in love. See, we have now seen Paul's prompting the Gentiles. Next. we're going to move quickly. I know some of you are amazed that I would dare to take 14 to 33 verses here. Next P is to be powered by God. Paul is powered by God. Verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul was powered by God. What you'll find, again, kind of moving quickly, but... When you look through these verses, here's what you'll you'll find. First, let's talk about the results of the power that resided in Paul. Okay, verse 18 says that Christ showed his power through me, both in what word and deed. So what Paul is saying, look, both the sermons and the signs were powered by God, both my words and. And the works that God did were powered by God. Both the words that came out of my mouth and the miracles were powered by God. And all of this is happening when you're looking for where he's he's going here with the power of God. All of this was happening to this end, verse 18, the end of verse 18, to make the Gentiles obedient. In other words, one of the ways that the power of God was manifest through Paul... Gentiles, pagans, heathens, getting saved left and right. All over the place. Like, And when you, when you understand how depraved most of these folks were, it's amazing. He's saying, look, there's the power of God right there. Pagan, heathen dogs getting saved left and right. Transformation stories busting out all over. Verse 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. This happens to me. When I... When I have, have... It's been a while since I've been through the book of Acts. I can sometimes, when I see the, the signs and wonders, when he says that, I'm like, Yeah, I guess Paul probably did a few. <laughs> and then I just... Even without looking back, I just go, Okay, let's see. Let's see if I can think of a few. Here's just a very, very short list of the things that just popped in my head throughout the book of Acts. Ready? There was the demon-possessed girl in Philippi. Right? She was bothering him, so he's like, "I come out of there, <laughs> boom." But then that gets him in a whole another mess of trouble. The uh, the people, the townspeople, throw him in jail, right? But guess what? Another miracle: the earthquake jailbreak in Philippi. Uh, there, there was a time in Ephesus he preached too long one night. The guy falls asleep, falls out a window, and dies. Now I've put some people to sleep. <laughs> I've never actually killed anyone. Paul goes down. He lays hands on the guy, brings the guy back from the dead and goes, "Okay, now open your Bibles again. In Ephesus, there were people that were being healed just from touching his old sweatbands as he's working on tents. Now, I might have a few old sweatbands that could raise the dead, but not the same thing. Oh, and then there was the time in Lystra. When he was literally stoned to death, the Christians made a circle around him, prayed for him. He gets up and he marches right back into the city. This guy was crazy powerful. Crazy and powerful. Um, And now look look at the scope of the power of God through Paul. He says uh, in the verse... Uh, 19 maybe so that from jerusalem and roundabout to illyricum i have fully preached the gospel of christ the scope that is how far god did the works that he did how far he did The, the, the just to look at a map would amaze you i wish i had a map for you here but illyricum you guys know where jerusalem is right so illyricum is north and west of macedonia it's it's getting very close to italy um So, what Paul is saying here in a very few words, he's talking about three missionary journeys, right? Um, Thousands of miles. And it reminds me, it reminds us that Paul has nearly single handedly brought the gospel as far as Southeast Europe. And this is before light rail, this is before any of the, the wonders of technology that we have. He did this on foot with a donkey. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, how in the world does a man, one man, do so much? Was it because he started early and applied himself? Was it because he had a stable of advertising corporations and a Learjet? Was it because he was just so good looking? Not according to the history books. Most of them talk about him as a short squat guy with a unibrow. Well, then, if it it was any of those things, anything that you could point to and go, oh, well, that guy, obviously, he has got this great advantage. If it were those things, then you and I could never aspire to matter much in God's plans. But look what it really is. Verse 17. Therefore, he says. I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to or come from God. He says, the things that I'll boast about are only the things that God did in me. Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. Paul says, look, all the amazing stuff that I just listed was not accomplished by me at all, but by Jesus working through me. Can I ask you a, a probably a convicting question? How much do you rely on the Holy Spirit? On God working through you instead of helping you to do what you want to do? What if we were to take a cue from Paul in verse 18? Because what he says is, look, I, I dare not speak to, of anything that I have done, but only what Christ has done in me. What if we said, I'm never ever going to mention anything that I've accomplished? Only what Christ has accomplished in me and through me. I wonder how quiet we'd be. What if everything that you and I accomplished in our own strength, that is not relying upon the power of God, suddenly evaporated up in smoke like wood, hay, and stubble. Conversely, maybe you've heard it said that if the Holy Spirit were taken out of most churches, 95% of what goes on will just continue unchanged. Perhaps you look at this list, this amazing list of the things that God accomplished through one man. And maybe I I pray that there are folks here who pray and go, well, why not today? Why not today God empowering his saints in word and deed? with mouths and miracles? Why aren't more heathens being saved? Why can't we seem to do collectively what Paul seemed to do single-handedly? The answer is in the middle of verse 19. Paul did all of this by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul was powered up, empowered by God. He was God-filled. He was Spirit-filled. Question, are you... Have you asked the Lord to fill you to overflowing with his Holy Spirit? The Bible's very clear that when you gave your life to him, he came to live inside of you. But have you asked him to, to overflow in you? Now, what does that look like? It, it really comes down to this. You surrendering all of yourself to him. You asking him, Lord, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you ask the Father for something great like this the Holy Spirit and that is the context of of these verses he will not give you a stone if you ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit he will not give you a stone instead he will give you of his Holy Spirit and it will show in your words and in your deeds and the heathens will notice and you will change your world Okay, Paul has. We've seen Paul's prompting. We've seen his power. Now let's look at Paul's pioneer spirit, his pioneer preaching. He says, middle of verse nineteen, he says, "Look front from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he has." He was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul, remember, he's writing to the Romans and he says, "Uh, guys, the reason it's taken me so long to get to you, though I've been wanting to for years, is this passion of mine to boldly go where no man has gone before. Look at it. Verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. The Greek is onomatso. It means not to utter a name. In other words, Paul is saying my personal goal, my personal motto is to go where the first response to the word Jesus is. Huh? (laughs) What was that? He says, lest I build on another man's foundation. He says, verse 21, but as it is written, and this is, he's quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 15. And I think this is kind of Paul saying, look, this is my vision statement. Okay, this is the thing that I kind of gear everything around in my life. To whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Paul has this pioneering spirit. He is the second Shoe salesman in the Amazon. You guys ever heard that story? The the, the the shoe company sends a salesman to the Amazon. He sends back a telegram. A little while later, coming home. Nobody here w- wears shoes. Terrible market. Second guy sent out. He sends back a telegram. Send more shoes. Can you believe it? Nobody here wears shoes. You get it? It's like he saw things differently. Paul's vision statement with the gospel was to boldly go where no man has gone before. Can I ask you a question? You're like, Yeah, that's what you do. How does your vision statement go? To boldly go where no man has gone before? Or to barely get out the door if I'm lucky? I'll be honest with you, I think again, if you've been here a while, I think you would testify that this is true. I am more comfortable as a teacher. I'm more comfortable building, if you will, on another man's foundation. Okay? Paul doesn't say that it's explicitly wrong. What he's saying is, look, this is what the Lord, the passion that He's given me. Okay? I am more comfortable as a teacher, building on a foundation that's already there. Okay? And and we will grow. The, the One of the Calvary Chapel philosophies is if you, if you feed the sheep, they will tell other sheep and you'll grow, right? So we're, we're, we would, we will grow as a church that way. But I tell you what, and I hope you've seen it in the last few months. It's entirely different and much more exciting when you're willing to share the good news with someone whose first reaction is, Huh? They haven't heard of Jesus, or maybe they've heard the name Jesus, but they've been to church all their lives where they thought it was rules and regulations. And instead, you get to come in and say, I have good news. It's not, there's no way you're going to ever achieve that. No, it's a condition, it's not a condition, it's a commodity that you must receive, and Jesus is willing to give it to you. See, it's good for us to be teachers of young disciples. We, we all need to be teachers. That's why our mission statement says to know Jesus and to make him known by the teaching of disciples, but also the preaching of the gospel and eventually reaching the world. It's good for us to be teachers, but I think God wants us to be more than catch and release fishermen. Where we just fish in each other's ponds. He wants us to be fishers of all men, even those who are hard to land. Challenge for you this morning, if you're willing to take it, would you pray this prayer? Lord, will you give me Paul's pioneering passion to boldly go out of my comfort zone? To share with those who've never heard the gospel. Okay, we've seen Paul's prompting. We've seen his power source. We've seen this passion that he has for pioneering. Next up, Paul's plans. Look at verse 23. Paul says, but, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. In other words, Paul says, look, I've accomplished what the Lord gave me here. And, you know, I've always wanted to come to Rome. So, listen, I'm planning a journey to Spain And you guys will be a pit stop for me. Okay? And I'll tarry there with you and and we'll enjoy each other's company. Verse 24. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. In other words, uh, get the futon ready. Because like a cousin with passes to Disney World, I'm stopping by. Verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So Paul says, oh, but wait, first, I got to let you know my first stop. I'm currently they think he was in Corinth. My first stop is going to be all the way back in Jerusalem. And then I'm going to head to Spain. He says, see, I've got this mission. Paul was on a, a mission of mercy from the Gentiles to in Macedonia, in Achaia, Greece. He was on a mission of mercy from those guys to the saints in Jerusalem. The ones who he says, the poor saints. And the word is destitute. That is, looking for their next meal. There was a whole enclave of, of people in Jerusalem, Christians, who were destitute. Now think about it. It totally makes sense. Jerusalem, everybody there is Jewish. You come and you say, I have now converted to this the way. Uh, I've given my life to the Messiah that you guys have rejected. Your family's going to disown you. Every time you try to do business with someone, you're one of those guys. So, financially, these guys were hurting very badly. So, Paul is now taking up a collection. Again, he's a it's cool. He's a bridge builder. He's like, OK, I'm going to go and take all of the, the if the Gentiles will will uh, will col- if they'll collect it for me, I'll take it as a gift to the Jews. He's uh, trying to, to bridge build bridges between these folks. OK, now, verse 26, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their, that is the Jewish uh, spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Again, sort of a little bit of the the backhanded compliment thing. (laughs) Paul says, look, you Gentiles, you've been grafted in. You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been blessed so much by the way of the Jewish nation. He says, the folks here in Achaia and Macedonia, these Gentiles thought it was the very least that they could do. Being so blessed spiritually to minister to these hurting saints materially. Verse 28. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, here's what we have in this rather long passage. And I know some of you are amazed that we got through it that quickly. What we have here is Paul's itinerary. His proposed itinerary. What he plans to do. His travel plans. I uh, went to Travelocity. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. He says, first I'm going to Jerusalem to deliver this gift. Then I'm headed to Spain. And when I, when I go through, I'm going to stop and spend some time with you guys. And it is going to be awesome. Look at verse 29. But I know when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. It's like... Here's my plans. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see you guys. Now, some of you know, if you've been through the book of Acts, did it work out like this? Not exactly. Well, it sort of worked out. He went to Jerusalem, and he ended up in Rome. All expenses paid, because he was a prisoner of the Roman government. He showed up three years about later than planned with behind him three court dates, one riot, one assassination attempt, one hurricane, one shipwreck, one snake bite you You read verse twenty nine and i I sense Paul's expectations right that he's like, "Oh, this is going to be great, I'm going to come in the fullness of the gospel it's going to be great and then as I remember the last part of the book of Acts, I get instead a picture of Paul showing up in Rome, tottering. I made it. Collapsing to the ground, face down. woo <laughs> I don't know about you, but knowing this, connecting these two things, the, the end of the book of Acts and these verses right here, it both encourages me and it teaches me. Isn't it encouraging to know that even the great apostle Paul made his plans and then later went, wow, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> that didn't go the way that I thought it would. The family memory verse for today, Proverbs sixteen nine. a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Are you in a position today A circumstance that you never saw coming. So was Paul. You read through the book of Acts. You compare them to this verse. And what you find is Paul's plan just came unraveled. But God's plan never did. Paul just kept preaching the gospel. He lived the best life that he knew how to. In front of anyone who would listen. And God used everything. Every trial, literally every trial that he was in. So that by the end, God accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish way back in Acts chapter 9. That Paul ended up preaching before governors and rulers and kings. It wasn't the way Paul would have expected it. But Paul ended up saving sailors In hurricanes. Converting natives on the island. Again, people say to you, what about the guy on the island? God sends people to them. Paul ended up converting guards in the Roman prisons. Eventually, actually, history seems to indicate that Paul ended up standing before Nero himself. And you know that if he did, he preached the gospel. A man's heart plans his ways... But the Lord directs His steps. This morning is your catchphrase. Lately, didn't see that one coming. God did. And He is able to fit this trial into His perfect plan. Here's the question on your part. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him the way Paul did and just keep living the best life that you know how in front of anyone and everyone that God places you? Maybe He places you in front of a a cancer doctor. Maybe He places you in the unemployment line. Are you willing to live the best life you know how wherever He places you, trusting Him that He will work it out into His perfect plan? Turn with me to Acts 28. Acts 28. This is the end of the book of Acts. This is awesome because this is where Paul, the author, meets the recipients of this letter we've been studying. Very, very cool. Acts 28. Paul, again, has all of this carnage behind him. The the, the shipwreck, the snake bite, the trials, the assassination attempt, all of this stuff, okay? Look at Acts 28, verse 11. This is Luke, his... Uh, his travel mate writing, After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had uh, wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Putioli, I guess, where we found brethren. And we were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Now look at verse 15. And from there... When the brethren heard about us from Rome, that is, they came to meet us as far away as Appii Forum, and the Three Inns. Y'all, that's about 50 miles outside of Rome. And it says, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Something you, you need to know about this, according to uh, Horton, it was a custom that when an emperor visited a city for the people to go out and meet that emperor and escort him back to the city. So get the picture in your head. Again, Paul has made this promise, I'm coming and I'm going to come and my power it's going to be awesome. Three years have passed now. Paul's expecting, he was expecting to enter Rome powerfully, sweeping in with, under the power of the Holy Spirit, pouring out mightily upon this group of people, Right? Instead, now, Paul comes after all this calamity. He's approaching Rome. He's 50 miles outside of Rome in chains. 50 miles outside of Rome, and what does he see? A hero's welcome. That's awesome. You see, Paul had his plan. But the Lord directed his steps and he would not have gone any of those ways. But don't you know, he did. He was able to come in joy as he's going to pray here soon in the power of the gospel. How awesome, you guys. What a beautiful way that God has of bringing beauty from ashes. I don't know who he's talking to. Maybe he's talking to all of us. You're you're in a spot that you never expected. God is able to do amazing, beautiful things. Now, we know the rest of the story for for Paul, at least uh, to the end of of the book of Acts here. He would stay incarcerated there in Rome. But he was so full of life and the gospel that what they say is that rather than Paul being chained in Rome, all of Rome was chained to Paul. (laughs) He couldn't get away from the guy. He just kept preaching the gospel. He was joyous in the midst of all of these things. It's amazing. Now, we are out of time, so I'm not going to expand a lot on these last few verses, but I want to touch on them, and we'll kind of dig into them probably next more, next time. Uh, this is The last thing is Paul's plea. Paul's plea, and it's for prayer. Look at verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me. In prayers to God for me. He says, enough about you guys. Let's talk about me. I need you to pray for me. Verse 31. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And God answered that prayer. And may be refreshed together with you. God answered that prayer. Verse 33. Now that the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul's plea, just touch on it. Paul, the, the mighty apostle Paul says, I'm begging you, will you pray for me? Now, if there was ever a guy that you would be tempted to go, that guy does not need my prayer. It would be Paul. No, I, I need prayer from you, Paul, but I, I don't need, you don't need mine. Paul says here, I'm begging you, pray for me. I'm begging you, pray for me. No, that last one was for me. I'm begging you, pray for me. Continue to pray for me. I shared this uh, at a different time. I, and again, I guess the Lord must want it because it's not in my notes. But y'all, I feel the most, it's, it's the scariest time of the, of the week. And it's the best time of the week when I get to stand up here. Paul says, I wouldn't brag about anything that I have done. But I will talk about what God has done through me. Y'all, the reason I... I always, I'm always nervous when I come here, but the reason I enjoy it so much, because I know God is answering your prayers. It's awesome. He's filling me, He's filling you with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to our hearts. It's, it's in your best interest to pray for me. It's in our best interest to pray for one another. Paul would say, I am begging you. Pray for me. Just continue to pray that what God wants to do in me, in us, together, he'll do. Pray for what God wants to do through this band of believers. You guys willing to do that? Cool. All right. I'm going to let you guys have the last word in chapter 15. Now the God of peace be with you all. Let's try that again. Okay, wait. Apparently some teaching is in order. Amen means so be it. I'll let you guys say it. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen.